Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Before I begin today's episode, I wanted to ask for your help with something. If you listen on iTunes, you've probably seen their list of podcasts designated as COVID-19 essential listening. I've reached out to Apple to ask them to include Shelter in Place on that list, but I need your help. If you could take a moment to go to iTunes, rate Shelter in Place, and write a quick review of what you like about the show, I would be so grateful. Now on to the show. I've been missing nature this week. We live just a couple of miles from Oakland's regional park system, but it's been weeks since I've been on those trails. The time I used to get there in my pre-COVID-19 life is now spent trying to do school with the kids. Lately, the little exercise I'm getting is whatever I can squeeze into the half hour after dinner when it's starting to get dark. The other day, my friend Laura sent me a photo of the two of us backpacking on the John Muir Trail. Seeing that photo of our grubby, smiling faces filled me with an immediate ache to be there again. It brought me back to what the trail had done for me, to the lessons I'd managed to bury in the busyness of my life this past year, but that I could really use right now. So today, while nature feels far away, I want to take you back to the trail. Laura and I hit the trail in August of 2019, but my story begins nearly three years before that, when I picked up Cheryl Strayed's book, Wild. I'd heard about Wild for years. It was an immediate sensation when it was published in 2012, and two years later it was made into a movie starring Reese Witherspoon. It was one of those books I'd been meaning to read for a long time. It's the true story of Cheryl's decision to spend three months solo backpacking the Pacific Crest Trail in the wake of her mother's death. When I picked it up in the summer of 2016, it was exactly what I needed. That summer, I was slowly emerging from a two-year stretch of on-and-off depression and a firestorm of pain that included a miscarriage, the loss of a beloved mentor, and the suicide of an old friend. It was one of those seasons where every time I got up, something knocked me down again. I was getting help and going to counseling, but I was coming to the end of my 30s, and my life wasn't what I'd hoped it would be. I'd been down for so long that I felt unlovable, even among my closest friends. I'd come to see myself as unfun, someone with emotions too big to handle, which was probably a pretty accurate assessment of myself at the time. I've always loved the trails, but my only experience backpacking was a weekend trip to Yosemite where my husband and I lugged heavy metal pots and hardback books to our campsite overlooking Half Dome. But Cheryl's words called to something deep inside me, a longing I didn't yet know how to voice. A year later, I was 39 and still thinking about them. I wanted to do something epic for my 40th birthday a backpacking trip through the wilderness. I wanted to shrug off my unmet expectations for myself, to exchange the weight of what other people thought of me for the weight of my pack. I wanted to get out in nature long enough to see if I could find my way back to the person who didn't need other people's opinions to be okay. With three little kids, I knew I couldn't do what Cheryl had done, but I figured I could manage a week on the trail My husband, Nate, encouraged me to start planning. 
I wanted to find the prettiest section of the PCT that could be covered in seven days. And the most frequent suggestion was the 55-mile North Lake-South Lake Loop, which included four summits, sections of both the PCT and the JMT, and Evolution Valley, a spot 19 miles from the nearest trailhead that people couldn't stop talking about. I was coming back from a serious foot injury, a tear in my heel, and I didn't feel safe being out there alone, Cheryl Strayed style. So I asked my friend Laura Figueroa to join me. Like me, Laura's a mom of three. Her kids are older, and she's one of those moms I've often looked to for wisdom. She's real about her struggles, honest about it when she makes mistakes. Maybe that's why, even though our paths don't cross often in daily life, she's who I thought of first for this trip. She's a friend who makes me feel seen. She also turned out to be the ultimate backpacking buddy. She planned all our food, loaned me gear, and did tons of research on the trail we'd selected. I turned 40 in April of 2019, and Laura was there toasting me at my party. I'd done a lot of self-work since I read Cheryl's book. I didn't feel like I had it all together, but I'd slowly found my way back to joy. The baby I thought would never be born had just turned two. I was starting to understand that the emotional vulnerability that a few years before had felt like my fatal flaw was maybe the best thing I had to offer the world. Laura was one of the friends who helped me see that. But in the months between April and August when we planned to hit the trail, we both began to question our decision to go. Both of our lives had reached a fever pitch of intensity that neither of us could have predicted one year earlier. Laura had started her own occupational therapy business, and it was thriving, so much so that she was hosting a training for other OTs a few weeks after our trip was scheduled. She was also getting a PhD, and our trip fell during her first week of class. My foot injury, which I'd assumed would be a thing of the past by August, turned out to be a year-long recovery process that included two procedures, weeks on crutches, and months of staying off my feet as much as possible. Despite many months of physical therapy and training, I still wasn't back to 100%. The week before the trip, when Laura and I were weighing our packs and discussing which toiletries we could leave behind, I was beginning to panic. The trip fell two weeks before the Fulbright application deadline. It was a deadline I'd been working toward for nearly a year, but I still had a lot of work to do, including writing and recording a 30-minute podcast episode to submit for my portfolio. At that point, I was just learning about podcasting. I barely knew how to use a mic. I would also come back from that trip to a Spanish language evaluation, and I didn't feel ready. When I told my Spanish teacher, Vivi, about the trip, I could tell she didn't think I was ready either. But my husband and a few close friends urged me to go. Maybe this is what you need, a friend said, to give yourself permission to let go of all this for a week. Maybe it'll give you the perspective you need to finish your work when you get back. Sunday morning, Laura and I loaded up her little Prius and headed east. As the miles of road passed beneath us and we traveled through the mountain forests of Yosemite, we began to settle into what we'd committed ourselves to. Neither of us felt responsible, leaving our obligations behind, but we were doing it anyway. Ahead, there was only forest and mountains and the road. Sunday night, we stayed in a motel and did a sunset hike on the shores of Mono Lake. We repacked our packs, taking out anything that we didn't absolutely need. 
Monday morning, we drove the final stretch to Bishop, where we'd hit the trail. It was starting to feel real, and I was surprised by how nervous I felt. Laura must have felt it too. We both grew quiet as we drove, thinking of all we were leaving behind and the great unknown ahead. It was 11.30 by the time we found a spot to park, confirmed we could leave our car there for a week, checked our packs one last time, and hit the trail. It was later than we'd hoped to start, and the sun was high overhead. The 2,056-foot climb up and over Paiute Pass was challenging, but the constant views of the valley behind us kept us going. I practiced telling Laura about my Fulbright project in Spanish, a monologue that would become part of our daily ritual for the next week. Still, that first day was hard. The hike was one long, continuous uphill, and we were intentionally moving slowly, thinking we needed to pace ourselves. By the time we were up over the pass, my foot was hurting. It was only day one, and I couldn't imagine five more days of the same. It was dark when we finally stopped to camp near a mossy stream in a green forest, most of the way to Hutchinson Meadow. It was beautiful, but I was discouraged. I woke up in the middle of the night to discover the sleeping pad I'd borrowed from a friend was leaky. I had dreams that we had to turn around and retrace our steps. The next morning, as soon as I opened my eyes, I knew I'd have to decide if we were going to turn back or keep going. We were only 10 miles into our 55, and we'd covered two less miles the previous day than we'd intended. As we packed up our camp, we discussed the possibility of having to turn around, which we both agreed sounded terrible, and finally decided we'd commit ourselves to reaching the junction that would put us on the JMT and PCT trail for most of the rest of our trip. There was a ranger station not far from there, so if I needed to be airlifted out, yes, we seriously talked about that, that was the spot where it would happen. The first couple of hours of that day were grim for me. Even as we crossed sparkling streams and hiked through wildflowers, I was worried. But a couple of hours in, as we trekked down through exposed groves of young manzanitas and down along a raging river, something changed. Cheryl Strayed talks about this in Wild, the way your body can physically adjust to the load somehow becoming stronger and more capable with each passing mile. I felt that transformation happening. We started moving faster, realizing that the time on our feet was harder on our bodies than the increased speed. It was afternoon by the time we reached the junction and took a dip in the river. A few hours later, we reached the riverside campsite that put us back on track for our original plan. We'd covered over 13 miles and were elated. And just like that, we were backpackers. We were doing it. By day three, there was no question of turning back. We were nearly halfway into our 55-mile loop. We were starting to get the hang of things, waking up by five and hitting the trail by sunrise. We weren't setting an alarm. Our bodies just felt ready. We planned our day so that the biggest and toughest climbs would happen early, while we were still walking in the cool light of morning and our legs were fresh. We hiked the steep switchbacks that would take us up to Evolution Valley and the wide, open beauty of McClure Meadow. We made friends with backpackers along the trail, went skinny dipping in the river. We told our life stories to each other over the span of 10-hour hikes. At first, I felt self-conscious about my storytelling, worried Laura would get bored, but she encouraged me to let my stories wander. We had time. 
It was a gift to be able to speak about my life unfiltered, to see where the narrative would take me. We reached the second set of switchbacks that would take us up to Evolution Lake and the string of mountain lakes after that, one of the most stunning places I've ever clapped eyes on. We ended up covering the 55 miles of our loop in five days instead of six. At some point, we stopped thinking about the end of the trail and just took each mile as it came, letting it surprise and delight us. I've never known hiking like that, where the journey itself is the best part. I've rarely known living like that. We were covering miles faster than we had intended, and we felt good doing it. My foot continued to be sore, but I learned to ice it in a mountain lake or river every night and to massage it before I went to bed. I stopped worrying, not just about my foot, but about my life. The world wasn't going to end because we'd stepped away from it. In fact, the opposite had occurred. Putting pause on our lives had given us the ability to see our problems in their proper perspective. Whatever happened, we would get through it. There's a quote I found of Cheryl Strade's from a talk she gave after Wild was published. It sums up what I learned on the trail and the lesson I'm still learning right now. I reached out to Cheryl before today's episode to ask her permission to quote it, and she got back to me right away. She said, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable, but I can do it. She called that resilience that she learned on the trail a gift of poverty, a radical acceptance that allowed her to come to terms with her mother's death and appreciate what she herself had to offer the world. Cheryl said, The PCT gave me the strength and faith-keeping I needed to become a writer. When Laura and I came back from that week on the trail, not much had changed in the lives we'd left behind. Our families had missed us a little, but our absence had also given them some freedom from the norm. Both of us found the work we returned to smoother and easier. After hours of discussing each other's work day after day, We'd had epiphanies that we probably wouldn't have come to if we just kept charging through the routines of regular life. I wrote a pilot podcast episode I was proud of. I scored higher on my Spanish exam than I needed to. I've been thinking this week about Cheryl's words, about the ways my COVID-19 life is a bit like my time on the trail. That uncertainty I lived with each day on the trail, when I wondered if my foot would hold up and get me home, is an awful lot like the uncertainty of not knowing if our bodies, or the bodies of the ones we love, will endure this time. I don't know where this time will lead us, but there's no turning back. We're here. We're doing it. The trail was hard, but it gave me the strength and solitude and friendship I'd been missing for so long in my life. I wonder if even in the midst of this struggle, this time of sheltering in place, could give us something similar. If even with all the challenges and tragedies we're facing, we could emerge from this time with some much needed perspective. I wonder if our bodies and our lives can undergo the needed shift to make us more resilient and also better at supporting each other. As Cheryl said, I don't like this. It's uncomfortable, but we can do it. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. 
Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, this family business has stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, you'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.